0: Game Over featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show.
1: Pioneer. The Laser. The key to expanding the horizons of home entertainment. Integrating the pure digital audio technology of Compact Disc with the superior video quality and advanced features of LaserDisc. All formats, all sizes, one package. Surprisingly affordable. Meet the new center of your home entertainment system. Just choose your favorite music from CDs or your favorite videos from LaserDisc thousands of your favorites, with thousands more on the way. From classical to classics. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. From blockbuster features to interactive learning. The sharpest picture. The purest sound. And the hottest entertainment to choose from. Pioneer Laserdisc. It's the best show in town.
0: Hi everybody and welcome to GeekFest Rant. My name is Carlos Peron and today we are going to talk about a new technology on the horizon where we can watch films through the magic of lasers. You'll be able to fast forward and freeze images like you've never had before. They will sound really good and you can skip chapters and move forwards and backwards. And all you have to do when you reach the one hour mark is flip the disc to the other side. Well, not exactly. That was maybe almost 40 years ago, <laughs> 35 years ago, something like that. But no, we are talking about laser discs today, a format that I was a part of one of the few times that I became an early adopter of technology and how in spite of its statistical failure as far as the format itself and as far as its longevity, how it did succeed in spawning off what came next, which is what we are more used to seeing now, even though we are already starting to write out of the current disc, whether it's DVD, Blu-ray, 3D Blu-ray, 4K, whatever it is, we're kind of writing out of. But... How this format held a lot of people's attention for a while, including myself in the mid to late 80s and early 90s. So let's begin with Laserdiscs.
1: We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on the spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mark. Mark, yes. There I am Ted right Baxter, here. and here is the news.
0: Home media has progressed throughout modern time, let's say, to the point where I can not really understand if it really exists anymore and how it does because we are in an age right now where we're transitioning from physical media to i don't know if you want to call it virtual media and i'm talking about streamable content that sort of thing there was a period in my life where i tried to amass as much as possible copies or even purchased uh, versions of films as i got into it it's just like anything else not only in terms of a collection or an obsessive collector. You know, it's a combination of the two. I know I have obsessive tendencies when it comes to collecting. You know, I can sometimes focus on something so much (laughs) that it would be considered a little over the top to a lot of people. Not to me. I kind of hop from one thing to the other. Uh, But I kind of stay with them for quite a long time. And there was a period of time where... I was copying and buying just about every movie out there that I liked or had some kind of connection to. One of the normal things that I would do is anytime a Netflix, and back then I think I even had Blockbuster, and there was another one, I forget the name, which another of these DVD rent-by-mail services. But up until recently, and even up to now, if for whatever bizarre reason... There's a movie that arrives that is in DVD form. I will make a copy of it just to have, you know, sometimes I don't even watch these movies. I'll tell you the truth. I have a movie that's been sitting here from Netflix that arrived in January and I still haven't gotten around watching it. And it's, it's pretty sad actually when you think about it, but. Part of the reason, uh, I think, it's because a lot of the movies I watch now uh, are streamable. They are coming from services and TV series and this and that. It's all coming from a service. And like it or not, you know, you are transitioning to whatever it is that's coming next. And right now we are in that period of time where we're transitioning from physical media to a streaming world. And on demand, on, you know, access on demand kind of media world but like i said there was a time where i would just copy 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 i have maybe about 14 or 15 cases now, i don't know if you're familiar with these cases they're basically to put discs in them like cds but you could put dvds because they're the same size these little kind of suitcases that you have and they i think they each hold up to 200 of them well i have about anywhere from 17 to 16 of those little cases full of movies that, again, purchased or copied. And that is what amounts to my collection, my movie collection. Every now and then, yes, I do, whether it's for a show like this, need to go and dip into those, or for whatever reason the kids want to watch, blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, blah, blah, blah is not available in the five, six different streaming services that we have access to. Go and grab it. And even cable, my God, uh, cable on demand. There's such so much stuff out there. You, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, that collection that I have is again mainly DVD, Blu-ray, and to a certain extent, recently 4K. As far as what the selections are or the formats, again, another format was the 3D Blu-rays. Man, did this one last a very short amount of time. Obviously. Avatar is what kicked it off, not only in movie theaters, being able to see films in 3D for a number of years, but now I think we're pretty much done with the 3D craze of the movie theater, and we're definitely done with the 3D craze of home video. That one was also one that I jumped on. Technically, I still have a 3D television set, and I might have a 3D Blu-ray player. But guess what? The media no longer exists. I've been, little by little, the movies were not available anymore. I had to buy, like, imports that were still pushing 3D to the point where they were done. They were done, 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 and done with 3D media. I used to have a, I don't want to call it decent because it wasn't decent. It was a standard VHS collection at one point. You know, when I started purchasing media for real, and I'm not talking about when I used to have my 8 millimeter film selected scenes of star wars or empire or superman or Close encounters and i used to have those and I, I i don't even know if i still have some of those they might still be somewhere i doubt it because that wasn't that was just a i can't even categorize that because you really couldn't collect those that, that it was too expensive and the, the selection was so minuscule and you're talking about selected scenes you're not even talking about the whole film so i don't even count that i would consider my vhs collection if you will my, my first real collection of films and I might still have a few of those laying around in a box somewhere as I started getting laser discs and DVDs the VHS is all pretty much went away I don't know if I threw them out or I gave them all to my dad or I don't know what I did with them tell you the truth but what I do want to talk about is what came after VHS and that is laser discs. all through grade school, let's say, and junior high school, and high school, and up until the beginning of my college time, uh, so this would bring us to around the m- late 80s, early 90s, yeah, I would say that would be it, Yeah, maybe 1989, maybe 1990, you know, I was in VHS world. And I wasn't buying crazy amount of stuff, I wasn't copying crazy amount of stuff, because you also have to remember, I didn't get my first VCR until like around 1984, I think, or 85, something like that. And yes, as soon as I got that, the bug hit me of, well, wait a minute, I can copy these things. (laughs) So I remember I would copy some of my, my favorite stuff. I would rent the movie and try copying it. Sometimes you couldn't copy because of the copy protection which got better and better as it went along and then I remember I bought a special machine, a small TBC color corrector that also acted as a time-based corrector which stabilized the image of any copyright macrovision kind of, Addition that would be added to your VHSs so people couldn't copy them. So and it was through college that I figured out how to do that because at college we we had the television uh, department and sometimes we needed to use a movie clip and it was like, well, how do you do that? Well, you have, when you run it through this machine, you can then make a copy of it and it'll be clean without the copy protection on. It. Oh, great, wonderful! So then you know I bought my own consumer version of that little machine, it cost me about a hundred bucks, and it was great because I could copy just about anything. Granted, you're talking about VHS. You talk about VHS signal. You talk about something that when you copy it, it would look pretty bad. <laughs> when you used to copy things, even if they didn't have a copy protection, they would be really bad. I mean, the 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 degradation of one generation to the next would be noticeable. And sometimes I remember if I had some kind of bootleg movie from somewhere, I don't even know where these things ended up coming from, and you would have a fourth, fifth, sixth generation of something that was maybe in the theater. And it would look horrible. You could tell what was being said, but visually it would be so horrible. But it was like, wow, you actually have something that is playing in a movie theater at home. And it would be like amazing. But honestly, you couldn't watch it more than once because it was just horrible looking. But it was all the way it was. That's just the way it was. And you lived with it. I used to record, not only copy some of the movies, I would buy a lot of, again, Columbia House, you buy your Columbia House movies, you got your 12 movies, and then you buy a couple more and you're done and then you sign up again and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, you have a box full of VHS tapes. I'm not even going to go into the music side of that because it's a, that's a whole odyssey on itself. And I've, I've discussed some of this already in the past. The other thing i would do is record off television i would record i remember i used to record star trek oh my god i would record star trek record it record it record it and then i would re-record it again i would basically record it at the best speed and then i would dub a ep which was the worst speed the worst quality but the best speed in terms of being able to put the most amount of episodes in one tape and you used to have that i'm pretty sure i threw all that crap out at some point But I would record, like, movies that were playing on TV and stuff like that, movies on HBO. You know, it was a period where when when you first get your hands on a certain technology, you just go crazy with it. You just do everything conceivable with it. And as I got into college and I was able to meet and talk to people who were more like me when it comes to liking movies and admiring movies and studying movies and being able to grab so much from movies, one particular person that I met there, his name was Steve, and I I think I mentioned him in the past again. He started telling us about this format that is out there right now that is better than VHS. And it wasn't so much that the quality was better, which it was. To me, it was more like, wait a minute, are you telling me that these... First of all, he kept telling me something about widescreen versus pan and scan. That took a while to sink in. And he was telling me about additional material, bonus Material Deleted scenes. And that's when it was like, wait a minute. Deleted scenes? What do you mean deleted scenes? And that's when you, you kind of started to sink in that, yes, there were deleted scenes in films that a lot of times you never got to see them. You might sometimes see it when somebody did a television version of a film and they added a couple of extra scenes here or there for mysterious reasons. Because back then you really didn't understand why would they do that. Why would they do that? It just didn't make sense. And because we were doing a movie show at the time, if I remember right, uh, we needed clips. We needed film clips. And he would always come in with his own film clips, f- especially with the movies that he was dealing with, that were letterbox. that were not pan and scan. Now, remember, we're still de- dealing in a 4 by 3 world. We're still dealing in normal televisions, tube sets, that sort of things. So flat screens came way later. The 16 by 9 aspect ratio came later. We're 4 by 3 at this point. So whenever he would have a movie come up, it would be awkward because it's like, wait a minute, you're not filling the entire screen. We're getting these bars, these black bars on top and these black bars on the bottom. It's, it doesn't work. And I don't remember at the time. I I don't exactly remember, but I, I think it's possible that the university had a Laserdisc player. Barely used, but it was new technology so it was there just in case, I think. And I think that's what he was doing. He was transferring them, I think, at at school. Not the whole movie, just the just clip he wanted to show. So he would transfer those clips and then we would have them in, back there was three quarter inch video because that's how we were editing things into three quarter inch video. However, it is possible that he was also bringing them in VHS form from home because that was one of the perks of LaserDisc players was that you can go directly to VHS with them without worrying about copy protection. Big giant perk. So little by little, you know, more and more exposure to this. And a lot of us in the area, a lot of, and not just myself, but even other people I knew who were in the business or they were in school or just out of school, The word started going around. Laser discs, you know, people, and you can get these special editions, and they have these box sets, and the director has a commentary. You got to remember that at this point, late eighties, early nineties, because you're dealing in VHS, usually all you get on your VHS is your movie. That's it. There is no such thing as bonus content. There's no such thing as director's track or director's commentary or anything like that. This was something exclusively being marketed on this new format called Laserdiscs. Now the history of Laserdiscs goes back and it doesn't really matter in terms of how accurate we want to be or how deep we want to go into it. All you need to know is that commercial players were around sometimes in the mid 70s, mid to late 70s, different versions of the technology. There was one version, I I think they're called video discs or something like that, where it was like a gigantic floppy disc and the machine would then take this Disquette size of a, you know, size of a record out of the container, out of the shell, out of the sleeve and plop it into the player itself. And then when it was done, it would actually remove it and slide it back into this protective shell. I actually remember seeing commercials for that very briefly, very briefly, not very popular. You didn't, I never seen it. I never seen anyone who owned that, but I know that they were trying to market those. Laserdiscs, on the other hand, that are basically similar technology, except that they don't live on a shell. They live like a record on a on a paper sleeve. You take take it out, plop it in, slide it in, and boom, it starts playing. Those, I have never remember seeing any form of commercials for those. That was what you call a niche market. From what I understand, it was very popular in Japan. Pioneer was the brand that I had. And I remember when I bought it, you know, when I started saying, all right, I got I to do this. I, I, I got I to get one of these because there are certain movies out there that I love and I cannot wait to dig into all the supplemental material. The movie that tipped me over the edge, I think, was Aliens. Mid to late 80s, early 90s, I was, I was in the middle of a James Cameron frenzy, absolutely loving his work. You're talking about, Terminator 2 was about to come out, and you're coming off of Alien, and the, um, the Abyss I wasn't too crazy about. But I think, I think, uh, let me think, Terminator was just amazing. Aliens was just, again, it was the top notch as far as I was concerned of, of filmmaking at that point. And that's what kind of tipped me over the edge. So I remember I had the opportunity through. A different friend of mine who did, had already graduated St. John's and was working already in the industry at a at a post-production duplication facility in Manhattan. And she was actually getting an order because her and a couple of other people that worked with her and a couple of friends were going to put in an order for laser players. And I don't know, it was maybe 10, 15 players. They were all together. So I chipped in, put in my money, and eventually I got my Pioneer player. And that's what started me with Laserdiscs. Now, just like anything else, Laserdiscs had a lifespan and then they kind of went away. One thing overtakes the other thing. The biggest difference is that with most of other formats, the other formats lasted quite a while. VHSs were around, you know, VCRs and VHS machines. Uh, The VHS format was was quite around for a long time. You know, it completely destroyed Betamax, but it, it lasted a long time. What came after Laser was DVDs, and then you have Blu-rays, and then you have 4K, you know. All these other smaller DVD type of formats, they've been around for a long time. Sometime in the mid-90s, I would say, is when uh, DVDs started to kind of poke their head out. And and up to now, you can still go more or less and buy DVDs. So, uh, DVD was uh, turned into a very popular, if you think about it, It's kind of still going around. There are the signs that it's starting to decline. I'm sure Blu-ray took a big chunk of the DVDs and 4K, not as much. But now the rumor going around is that there are studios that are going to stop producing physical media. And by that, we're talking about Blu-ray and DVD. But Laserdiscs, compared to these other formats, Laserdiscs was very short-lived. I would say the, the main consumer, at least in the U.S., was film fans, film snobs, if you think about it. People that are really, really, really into film. That's the direction they went. To give you a a brief example of how numerically or technically the picture quality improved, which is one of the many features uh, from laser that came when you compared VHS to laser, was VHS had about 240 lines of resolution Horizontally, and we'll stick to the horizontal lines right now because it's the one that that most people are familiar with. Laser had four hundred twenty-five, so you're talking about almost twice as many lines of resolution, which resulted in a much sharper image. So now you got four hundred twenty-five. That's pretty good. Later on, you know, when you're dealing with DVD players, the picture quality will be noticeably will be slightly better, but you will be dealing with something a little different. When you then jump to true digital, true completely digital formats, especially in the high definition spectrum, and by high def we're talking about 720 or more true high definition 1080p resolution, that's when you are, you know, in the land of Blu-ray HD television. You bump that up a notch when you jump to the Blu-ray side. And you go even higher when you go to the 4K side. The 4K side is almost 4,000 lines of resolution. So remember, the difference between (laughs) Laserdisc and a current 4K film is about 10 times the quality as far as the picture goes. And that was, at the time, a very good thing. The trick was that back then we didn't have HD sets. And ironically right now, if you try to play a Laserdisc or even a VHS on a modern set, on a modern flat screen 1080p capable set, it's gonna look kind of weird. It's gonna look kind of muddy. And sometimes it's better to watch those images on an old tube set. And back then, I remember, especially when you're dealing with widescreen films, because that was the thing back then. It was almost like a religion in terms of you were brought up with pan and scan, pan and scan, pan and scan, pan and scan. Everything you bought was pan and scan. Every channel that would show a movie, it would be pan and scan. And you got, that's the way it was. But you forgot or you didn't realize. But when Laserdiscs hit that was the opportunity for a lot of these companies to put out their films in that format, in the original format that you actually saw it in the theater. And that was a big, big appealing thing to me is, is being able to watch these films in the original manner that were intended to be seen. But it did create this problem of all of a sudden having a much smaller image because you're watching the proper aspect ratio with the black bars on top and bottom. And if you're watching some classic, you know, crazy, like a Ben-Hur kind of classic, you're going to be watching like a a strip (laughs) of your TV is going to be the information because these things were so wide. The old CinemaScope and 70 millimeter and all those very wide, wide films. There was just no way of fitting them properly on a TV, which then resulted in people like myself trying to buy bigger and bigger TVs, bigger two sets, in order to be able to compensate for all those black bars on the top and the bottom. You know, in order to make your widescreen image as big as possible, you had to go up, up, up on set size. And I forget how high I went. I don't know if I... I, 42-inch set, maybe? I I don't remember how high I had gone... (laughs) before I, I started switching to the to the high-def sets. So that was one issue. That was one, one kind of workaround that you had to deal with. Now, granted, when you were watching these films, oh, my God, it was just amazing being able to see this. And then when you thought about it, because at the time, I had, like, for example, a movie like Blade Runner, I had it on VHS. But then you pop in your laser of it, and it's like, oh, my God, the colors... Everything looks so much nicer, the, the, the white image. And, and then you start to realize, you know what? Yeah, if you're watching it pan and scan, it looks a little blurry. It looks blurrier than it should. And that's because when you do the pan and scan trick, <laughs> you are basically enlarging an image that might not necessarily be meant to be enlarged. And when you enlarge something, you start to blur it out a little bit. I remember these to happen at school when we used to mess around with an effects generator where we would want to blow up an image, make it bigger? Well, we would make it bigger, but the bigger the image got, the more distorted it looked. It's it's like when you take a photocopy, a zoom-in photocopy of something, it starts to get distorted. And that's what you realize after a while, is that you're watching these movies at home, and it's like, oh my God, I've been watching these movies at home, and I've completely gotten used to watching them slightly blurry because of the pen and scan. You know, with these fake... Left and right movements that were not there in the film, but are there for television purposes or VCR purposes, VHS purposes, that sort of thing. Now, the thing about the the discs when you bought them was that a lot of these movies you could buy on two different versions. You could have the pan and scan version or the widescreen version of which it seemed a little counterintuitive that you would go to the extent to buy a laser displayer and then purposely buy pan and scan films. You know, it's kind of like you're losing part of the reason why this format exists in the first place. But I understand it could be a little jarring to people, you know, to get used to watching them in that manner. It depends on what kind of film person you are. Are you, you know, is it more important to fill the screen or is it more important to get new information? For me, it was more new information, original intent, a cinematic view of what was supposed to be. Not necessarily the biggest view you could achieve in your home. Now, one unusually difficult, confusing, frustrating point uh, about laser disc technology. And not necessarily laser disc technology, but the matter in which certain films will have been formatted. And that is having to do with some, not all, but some James Cameron films. And I'm talking about the issue of Super 35. Just when you thought things were complicated enough. A smart way, and I understand it is very smart, in a way, of being able to compensate for the problem of pan and scan and widescreen, is what they did in the past, which I described before, is you take a widescreen image, you just focus in the middle of it so that you eliminate both sides, and you end up with just the important, quote unquote, important section of the movie. That section of the movie is probably, let's say, in the middle of the frame, eliminating the left and the right. Some filmmakers had very important things on the left and the right, and you end up missing that. Because of that missing, you get the pan and scan, meaning you pan to the left, you pan to the right, but these are artificial pans. These are digitally induced (laughs) pans that take place in order to keep up with, let's say, people talking on either side of the screen. This is not how the director intended it to be. This is not how it was shot. It was not meant to be going back and forth with the camera. The camera was just taking it all in, and you are supposed to look from left to right with your eyes or your head, not with the camera move. Hence, again, pan and scan. The other problem, as I mentioned before, is that once you zoom into that middle image, you distort the quality. Anytime you zoom in, you start to distort the quality. Unless you're dealing with completely... Absolutely, completely total digital imagery, which you, you, you were not, especially back then, you were not dealing in digital images. So you had a combination of that problem, the distortion of the image and the artificial movements that are induced, that are, they are very artificial. When, once you get used to seeing them, you're like, ooh, that feels artificial. It's because it's artificial. So to be able to then shoot your movie in a way where you can then bring it onto television, And again, by television, I'm talking about 4 by 3 aspect ratio. I'm not talking about what we're dealing with now. I'm talking about 4 by 3 what we still had back in the 80s and the 90s. Some filmmakers, especially James Cameron, decided he's going to shoot in Super 35. Super 35 meant that he was shooting in almost a 4x3 aspect ratio. In the theater, you would only get the middle of that the white screen equivalent of that, thereby eliminating the top and the bottom. Follow me, this is a reverse of everything that we've been taught, (laughs) everything that we enjoy. So he's shooting these things with extra information on top and extra information on the bottom, knowing that once he gets to the movie theater, the top and the bottom are gonna be masked off. You're not going to see the top on the bottom. You're only going to see the left, right, horizontal, middle, widescreen image. However, once he's ready to put this film on a television, whether it's a cable channel, a network channel, again, back, this is a long time ago, an airplane, <laughs> you name it. Any kind of home format that people don't, I don't like widescreen. I like to see everything in a nice box. If okay, fine. He then unmasks the top and the bottom and gives you extra information on the top and the bottom that you didn't have before when you saw it in the movie theater. That extra information is only there for you to fill that top and bottom black bar with something relevant. But it is a complete reversal of everything. In other words, that information is really worthless information as far as the artistic you know, integrity goes. The director did not mean for you to see that in a movie theater, but now he wants you to see it at home in a television set because he doesn't want to have to put those black bars on top and the bottom because people, again, they're not sophisticated enough. They don't understand. They get confused. They (laughs) start to cry, whatever. So he started to shoot a couple of his films in that manner. And I believe the abyss might've been one of them. Uh, I think, After the Abyss, he started experimenting with Super 35. So Super 35 became somewhat of a controversial thing because it's kind of like they're giving you more, but they're giving you less. But they're forcing you to watch more information when you don't really have to watch more information. And I honestly don't remember if the disc itself gave you the option of watching it widescreen. Maybe that was one of those things where you could watch it either way. I don't remember right now. Bottom line is that we had something similar to this happen very recently with the Zack Snyder cut, where HBO Max was showing it in a very four by three aspect ratio looking thing. And reason for that was that it was shot for IMAX. So... It actually had more information on the top and the bottom than a normal film would have because of the IMAX experience. But at home, it looked odd watching it that way. And at home, I remember I purposely tried to mat it down so that I enlarged the image. So I did lose some top and bottom information in order to be able to stretch out the... Not stretch, but to to uh, widen the image, to, to make it more of a traditional white screen look. But again... This is another little headache that was brought upon by having, you know, more technology and being able to do things more. It brought on this, wait a minute, but am I watching less or am I watching more? Am I missing out on some information? Yeah, but that information wasn't meant to be seen in the first place. Yeah, but why am I seeing it or why can we see it or why should we see it? It was one of those confusing uh, things that, uh, you know, I started to associate with some of those, you know, later Cameron films. I guess at this point you could also... Use some kind of projector to project the movie at home. I didn't know too many people who did that, at least for the laser side. But yeah, that was a possibility too, if you wanted. The lasers also came in two different speeds, primarily. There was the CLV speed, which was the more common one. You got to remember, with lasers, as opposed to a record player, you know, when you put in a needle on the record player, you start in the Outside and the needle works its way to the inside lasers were the opposite They started on the inside and they worked their way to the outside and the speed changed depending on which track you were on uh, In order to maintain a proper speed. Well, the speed also had to do with how these things were recorded so in other words the majority of the of the movies that were uh, available usually came in the CLV format, meaning that you could squeeze about an hour per side. Now that created a problem, because all of a sudden, if a movie is longer than two hours, that movie would require a second disc. Because remember, side one, flip to side two, and then if you had more than two hours, you need a side three. So that would also add a couple of extra bucks to your movie. Because of them having to manufacture an extra disc they couldn't just change the speed of it the other option you had was if you really wanted to take advantage of certain things like being able to freeze frame certain shots and being able to put a lot more data on a disc they were also recorded in the cav speed here they could only squeeze about a half hour per side which made it even crazier in terms of how many discs you would require. But it would give you that advantage to being able to do a couple of little extra things that you normally could not do. If you pause the movie on a regular player with on a regular CLV disc, it would pause blue. You would get a blue screen as you pause, and then when you play, it would come back. If the disc was CAV, you would hit pause, and you would get a perfect still frame. Clean, super Clean. Again, the, this is one of the differences. And these are features that would later on carry on to DVD. Even on VHS, as I remember, people were trying to do a clean freeze. You would freeze, but you would get like a jittery image. And then some machines, you could actually tweak how jittery it would be. And then there were all kinds of like... The, I remember they, they used to advertise the flying erase heads. Let you do freezes, you know, cleaner. Okay, I get it, fine. But... This was one of these things that were starting to being experimented with on the laser disc side. The other thing uh, was that you could buy a better machine that you would not have to flip your discs yourself. The laser actually went from one side of the disc to the other side of the disc. Those were much more expensive, not the one I had. And even though the one I had was a very basic pioneer unit, It still cost, I remember at that time, something, I think it was like something like $450 or something. So it was quite, thinking about it right now, it's like, that is quite an expensive machine (laughs) even to own, you know, back then. But you could not get away from just the quality, the sheer quality, the sharpness, the difference in colors. And the funny part about it, like I said before, it's not so much that It was that amazing is that we have gotten used to such a poor picture quality we had gotten used to television and we had gotten used to VHS and pan and scan all of these things that kind of made us numb and made us forget what good pictures would look like I mean obviously you go to the movie theater and you're back in a you know beautiful quality environment you know in terms of the the pictures look nice and the sound sounds excellent and then all of a sudden laser discs is thrown in the mix and it's like, wow, this isn't perfect, but it's damn better than what we had before. With the video, you would connect it directly to video. Now let's remember, this is not, even though you're dealing with lasers reading off of a disc, just like you were with CDs a little bit later, you were still not dealing in completely digital technology. So in other words, you had more pixels. Yes, you had more pixels. True. But you were still outputting in an analog manner from the machine to your television. Most likely using either one single cable for video, or sometimes the, you could use three cables if, if the TV had that capability of accepting that three cable signal, which, which is the, the red, blue, green signal. Or some of them even had what they called Super Video, S-Video, I think it was, which was like a, like a little tiny multi-pin connector. That started coming out every now and then to be able to get you a better picture quality. I honestly barely remember the difference in quality. I remember having different sets and I would I would toggle between one and the other to see which looked better. It would drive me absolutely crazy. Sound-wise, you have the same problem. You had analog sound coming out. Later on, they started adding features like AC3, which is a form, I guess, of somewhat processed sound if you hooked it up to a proper sound system and i believe you might have also gotten at one point thx sound but it might have been towards the end but for the most part or coax out i think was an other option that was that was starting to become available uh, as the models got better and better one problem that the, the the system had was that because we were not dealing with upgradable software if you will the way we do now Sometimes certain discs would be released that just would not play on very older machines. It had problems, the older machines had problems reading those discs. The other thing everybody was terrified was laser rot. Uh, I don't know if I've ever experienced it, but it was a, you know, while they would tell you how much better laser discs were in terms of As opposed to a piece of tape that will get damaged and and will shrink and will crinkle and will, you know, snap or whatever. Lasers would last forever, blah, 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 the discs themselves. But they always talked about laser rot, which is a process of, I guess, the actual plastic on on the disc. Developing some kind of a weird breakdown that will obviously affect your film after a while. The other thing was that, yes, you could program... Certain films, in terms of how to watch them, but there will always be a pause. And whenever you're dealing with a pause, you're also dealing with a blue screen. So, again, it wasn't perfect, but it was damn good for its time. I used it for a long time. I purchased a lot of films. I did the usual Columbia House marathon, like just everybody did, uh, to get as many films as possible. There were a few stores that handled Laserdiscs exclusively laser discs i remember uh, near me and that and i'm talking about a half hour to 45 minutes away from where i lived there was a store called laser land which eventually transitioned to dvd and eventually went out of business like everything else but that was like the only store that dealt in lasers and oh my god i would walk into that store and you'd be in heaven it was just a non-stop bins and bins and bins like a record store of lasers all kinds of lasers it was just fantastic and i believe that's also where they used to i used to be able to rent them out you could rent uh you could rent them i mean granted it was a long drive to go get them and return them but there was a period where i rented a lot and i copied a lot to to vhs out of all things going back down (laughs) take it. you know take a step forward and take two steps back uh but at least i would have a version of a film uh, you know with me but that was one place then there was another place in boston Laser Craze was a place in Boston that I used to be able to send in. I used to be able to buy from them at very good prices, better than Laserland prices. And they would also take in discs you no longer wanted for credit, for store credit. So I could send them three or four discs and then get like a $20 discount on a new purchase. And yeah, I remember using them quite a bit too. That, that those were fun. And back then again, when I used to have birthdays, a, a lot of my friends who knew that this is what I was into, and so were they, you know, they, they would I would get a lot of uh, lasers as, as gifts. But like I mentioned before, that ended, that ended. Uh, pretty fast mid 90s uh, already i would say it started to decline the the availability i believe by 2000 we were pretty much done with lasers in terms of them stop being produced and we were already switching to dvd just like everybody else my friend i remember the same friend who had adopted the laser disc wave showed us hey guys i you know i bit the bullet i got a dvd player but i believe If I remember right, he had a combo laser DVD player. And he was all happy with that. (laughs) I remember that. And I remember that a lot of us had a really strange reaction to the first DVD players. And again, if you're thinking DVD players, you're talking about a slightly different technology. I mean, it's the same kind of technology, but there was something a little different when you watched it. And the best example I could tell you, or I can provide, is... Anytime you had a scene where there was a lot of black or a lot of smoke, you would actually see pixelization, which is something that we had never seen before. And initially, we were, whoa, what's wrong with this? Something's a little different here. This looks a little weird. Granted, that got better and better as technology progressed. But that was one of the biggest differences, I remember, as we started moving towards high definition equipment high definition sets once we abandoned those tube sets that was one of the biggest things that you kind of miss about about that particular technology is that something like smoke would be a lot more forgiving on a tube set very dark black smoke or water you know stuff like that until they were able to up the number of pixels as they did with blu-ray and 4k and all these other things you know, did they uh, be able to perfect that particular challenge? However, the biggest impact that DVD had was price. These lasers we were talking about right now, your average film cost at least 30 bucks, your bare bones film. We were buying things, as I'll discuss in a few minutes, that were special box sets. These were the top of the top of the best of what could be produced. You know, in this particular format, and those could go for 70, 80, over a hundred dollars, some of these sets, because they were so exclusively made, and you know, they they were just fantastic, and that is something that they never really went with DVDs. With DVDs, you had cheaper movies, cheaper players, everything was basically cheaper. The discs were smaller, storage-wise, you were saving so much room. They could hold just as much if not more information, supplemental material. You could put pan and scan and widescreen on one disc. You were able to just put so much more in a smaller package. They were able to miniaturize it basically and take the best features of it all in one shot. You didn't have to flip the disc anymore. You could put a two hour plus movie on one side. You could do clean freeze frames without having to switch formats or anything. It was basically the best features of laser with a more reasonable price, but you do end up sacrificing something. Little by little with DVDs, the supplemental material got smaller and smaller. They weren't that, I mean, there were a number of DVDs that were packaged, exclusively packaged, and very beautiful packaging that went into it, just like they did you know, with some of these lasers. But after a while, it was just like, you know what? People don't really care about the all that extra stuff. They just want the movie. They don't care. They're not collecting these things the way that we used to collect them, you know. So even with DVD, the shine was already gone. The exclusivity, the prestige of Laser was gone. It entered a mass market, you know, super crazy production that basically lowered the Lowered the price and made it more affordable, but the quality kind of started to decrease. Not the technical quality, but the specialness of the format. With that said, I want to go over a couple of discs. I, I have two of those plastic bins full of lasers. I got rid of some. I did get rid of some. And as I mentioned before, a lot of times I would trade them for credit when I was buying something else. So I did get rid of some that way and some I did sell, but I was, I managed to hang on to about, like I said, two boxes full of discs and one box full, I would say is how much I have in terms of special editions, things that at the time you couldn't get anywhere else in terms of extra features that it had that because DVDs were not around yet, this was the only way to get them. Some more than others, obviously. I'm sure there are much more. I'm sure there are a lot that I never owned. And again, these are the ones that I kept. Of course, I had the Star Wars ones. That I think I got them through Columbia House. It was those. You can get the Star Wars trilogy back then. So it was uh, Star Wars was also a, a, a big <laughs> a reason why I got them. The you know the 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 ability to be able to get the Star Wars films in a letterbox format back then was super crazy. Great and expected, but I did trade those away because I got further different versions of Star Wars as as things went along on the laserdisc side. But let me start off here with Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is the Coppola film. These are what I would consider to be normal packaging. This particular disc is a three-way fold, if you will. You open it up and it's three sections because you have three discs and you have to be able to put them all in there. And It is just very gorgeous in terms of, you know, the pictures they use for it, the packaging for it. Again, these are standard we're talking about. And some of the extra features included here are commentary with Francis Ford Coppola, interactive hands-on editing workshop, uh, separate presentation of music and effects so you could kind of experience the different audio channels. Again, this is something you could never do with VHS. Documentary making of type of material. Trailers. Not everyone had this. Not every disc went this far in how much extra material they could put on it. You know, only the special ones. This is definitely not a $30 disc. I would imagine this would be at least $40, maybe $45. Because it's it's, it's like one notch above basic. Escape from New York. This is a fantastic one. I remember again. It is considered to be a basic one. It is. It has a two-way fold, and you know, opening in the middle. It's not a tri-fold. It's a do-fold, I guess. Uh, also, a lot of like liner. Remember what you would have. We what would be considered liner notes. You get a lot of that on these discs because you have a lot of open space. You know, a lot of real estate there. One of the best things about this disc, other than the fact that you're getting the movie in this format and that you're getting a commentary from Carpenter and Kurt Russell. You got a making-of featurette, and, and the best, best part is that you have deleted scenes. This is the first time, I think, we got to see the bank heist scene in the beginning of the film that was edited out. You know, before you could see it in, t- in YouTube or, or stuff like that, here's where they first were able to give it to all the fans. Again, this is gold. for for If you're a film fan... And And you have no sources of this. Remember, the internet is not as active yet. It is not as crazy, full of stuff as it is now. You do have conventions and places where you can get weird videos and stuff like that. But something like this being packaged and put together in such a nice, you know package, it, it was it was just fantastic. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Another great film of, you know, my time that we all absolutely loved. This one not only had extra commentaries running left and right, but it also comes with the script. There's a miniature version of the script, you know, from, I guess, from the play or the movie. I'm not sure which, which of the two. I don't know how, how accurate or how similar they both are. Yeah. Pulitzer Prize winning play by David Mamet. So, Wow. You have that. I tell you the truth, I don't even think I read it. <laughs> Dances with Wolves. Man, once again, you're dealing with a special edition in this case. This one is called Extended Edition. Perfect. It's not a box set, but it's a tri fold. It has the tri fold inside because it's got so many discs. It's got three discs, a ton of liner notes. There's a making of documentary, but more important, it has extra scenes. These are those extra scenes. I mean, it's a long film to begin with, but with those extra scenes, it makes it even longer. And there are scenes that I remember them being really good in terms of it, it does help the film a little more. And it's it's one of those situations where, like, if you really like the movie, there are certain extra scenes that you wish they would have put in there. And this was a good example of that. Bob Roberts. Wow. Wow. Bob Roberts, <laughs> man, this is an oldie. Another great film comes with commentary with Tim Robbins, deleted scenes, some of the uh, the original skits from SNL uh, having to do with the creation of the Bob Roberts character. Again, it's it was wonderful when. The director, or at least the producers of the films, uh, would go out of their way. And again, I don't know if they would do it for free or they were getting paid, but the point was that they were giving you something extra than just watching a movie. They were actually giving you something more. From Dusk Till Dawn. uh, This is a bifold, I believe. Yes, it is. Deleted scenes, letterbox, never-before-seen interviews, bonus behind-the-scenes feature. Again, this is more kind of like what a traditional DVD would look like now in terms of the type of things they would throw in there. Jim Carrey's The Mask. Again, another great film. Not too crazy in terms of extras. However, it has the usual featurettes and this and that and the trailers and the posters. Hundreds of behind And it has two bonus sequences... Viking and Death of Peggy. The Viking sequence, I believe, was supposed to be the original opening of the film, or maybe it's at the end or something like that. Again, these are the type of things you would hear about, and finally, you get to see them for real with this format. Now I'm moving on to the box sets. Now these are some that come in some kind of a box or a special packaging, as opposed to a a regular single or a bi-fold or a tri-fold. The box sets... Scarface, (laughs) signature collection, letterboxes. You know, I always win letterboxes, I told you guys. The movie's two hours and 50 minutes, so you can know off the bat that you're dealing with something that has to be longer in terms of how many discs they can put in here. This one comes with a documentary, uh, trailers, production and publicity photographs. That's another thing. You could squeeze in single images into this format that had never been done before and in theory had not, has, has not been done since. So for example, if there were a lot of still shots or artwork, you can go frame by frame and they would put one picture per frame or one drawing per frame. So you could, they used to call it stepping. You could step through, step next, 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 next. And you see all these different pictures and there would also be text you could read and it would only take up the the, the, the space of one frame. That is something that really didn't move on to DVDs. For some reason, they stopped it. I think they figured people wouldn't have the patience, or you're no longer dealing in that market. You're no longer dealing in the you know the crazy film fan that wants all that material, frame by frame, shot by shot, page by page. But this is something that I remember was great about lasers, especially these crazy special editions. Conceptual drawings, posters, art still photos, behind the scenes, script revisions, anything like that, you would have it right there. The Abyss, special edition. Okay, here we go. This one is, again, another one of these crazy excellent ones that included a lot of deleted footage that, to me, makes the film a little better. Uh, The Abyss was somewhat of a disappointing film, especially after Aliens, but it was kind of part of this Cameron collection, if you will. And I had to have it. And because of the amount of material that they would squeeze into these box sets, you know, what he did on Aliens, he did here on The Abyss. They they continued it. And I think it, it was because it was Fox who had been already doing these type of special editions before. This was kind of like a continuation of that. Pulp Fiction. Wow. This is one that is just Loaded with extras. And again, to me, it reminds me more more of a DVD extra in terms of how much they they throw in there. Making of, supplementals, behind the scenes, uh, deleted scenes, interviews, television commercials, theatrical trailers. You name it, it's in here. Pulp Fiction was an interesting one because when Pulp Fiction first came out on laser, the only one that was available was a Japanese version. And I remember that it was not available for rent. There was no American version of this movie yet. And you just couldn't get it anywhere. And this is around the time after the movie came out where everybody's like going crazy over this movie. And you know it's not coming for a while. At least a nice laser widescreen edition version. And I remember I rented a Japanese version, I think it was back in Laserland. And I brought it to work at the time. And I ran it through a switcher. And I was able to mask out the subtitles the japanese subtitles so i was able to keep the black bar on top on the bottom except you no longer saw the The movie was in, in english completely in english but you were now able to kind of not see the the japanese subtitles and i made a whole bunch of copies and i gave them all to my friends i remember that alien this is ridley scott's alien again similar to the um abyss disc Box set, same kind of format, same kind of packaging, loaded with extras. This is where you got to see the Dallas cocoon uh, sequence. All of this deleted material that just makes it so much better. Tons of artwork, A.J. Giger's paintings, screenplay, still shots, pictures, artwork. Again, these became the standard of how these things are done. They became kind of like the benchmark. These were the benchmarks of the best that you could do until we have a couple more coming up that totally blew everything away. Aliens. This is the one that I bought first, I believe. This is the one that, again, my friend showed me and convinced me, listen, you want this material. You want to see it in this format. You want to see it this wide. You want to see these deleted scenes. You want to learn as much as possible about how this movie was made in a visual manner? This is the thing to get, and and that was it. Aliens was my absolutely favorite one, you know, in terms of what a fantastic job they could do with these things, and it became the selling point for me on on why to get this. Platoon. Okay, Platoon, I did talk about this a couple of episodes ago in terms of me rediscovering Platoon on laser for the, the fact that the packaging is amazing, it's, it's, a, it's a scrapbook. It, it, I've never seen something like this. Inside you have the entire script, page by page, with revisions, with deleted scenes, with you name it, it's all in there right there in front of you even without having to touch the discs. A fantastic scrapbook format with pictures of Stone and his movie making and his real army pictures. It's just incredible. I remember turning in a couple of discs in order to get a discount in order to buy that one. That was definitely one of these over $100 ones, I remember. that it, Again, just fantastic. What a great job they did. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This is part of the Criterion Collection. Format is pretty similar to the Fox ones that I was telling you about. The, the black box sets. Tons and tons of extra material, including... If you guys remember... Closed Encounters had a director's cut. Well, there's a way of watching this film in the director's cut mode. There's a special way of watching this film with this disc, uh, which lets you select either the theatrical version or the director's cut. However because this is still Laserdisc early technology, if you program one or the other, I remember there would be a lot of spots, like I mentioned earlier, where you go to a scene, but you get a couple of seconds of blue screen while the disc is searching for that scene. So it was like the technology was there, but it wasn't fast enough to catch up to what they wanted to do. Really, really cool. Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. This is a really difficult movie to like. But I give it credit for him trying something completely different. This is a movie that I think makes more sense nowadays than it did back then. As far as how media functions, it's packed really well with a lot of extras. And it is again, it's a multi-disc presentation, which means that depending on the speed, you can do a lot of freezes to be able to look at certain scenes. Now here's probably one of the most important ones of all. The... Star Wars Trilogy Definitive Collection, Whitescreen Collector's Edition. This is more than a box set. This is a, this is a monster. You open this thing up and you have all of these discs, (laughs) a ton of discs per film, a little booklet. It also comes with a Lucasfilm book, a full-blown hardcover book inside. I mean, this is just insane. In terms of, at the time, this was supposed to be like the definitive Star Wars collection as far as being put on any home video format. This was it. This was not supposed to get any better than this. Again, all of it, letterbox, THX, sound, (laughs) you name it. This was it, and this was covered, packed with so much extra materials. So many audio commentaries. A lot of this eventually gets recycled to many different DVDs. This was also one of the original cuts of Star Wars. That's a whole other issue of the original cut that doesn't exist anymore because of the special editions. But this was one of the last uh, manners of getting an original cut of Star Wars. Which, in all reality, there has never been an original cut. It always kept changing every single time. I remember in order to buy those, I did trade in. A number of my originals, probably I imagine my original Star Wars, my Columbia House versions probably got traded in for those. The thing about these is that they're all in CAV format, and that was another great thing about it, was that you could take any scene in the movie and just freeze it. You could watch them, you know, frozen and that sort of thing, which you weren't on the other ones because they were CLV format. And my final one is, a, in a way, it's a continuation of what I just showed you. And that is the widescreen Star Wars Trilogy Special Editions. So, after the Special Editions were put out in the mid-90s, they put them on Laserdisc. Once again, you're dealing with all that stuff. You're dealing with all those new extra little scenes they created in a box set. <laughs> Which was probably the last uh, laser version of the Star Wars movies. Not until they got put out on DVD. Many, 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 many years later did we get an upgrade to that. I would also throw in there the T2 box set. T2, kind of like the special editions, incredible packaging, a slip case, inside a slip case with all the discs inside and the amount of information Behind the scenes, documentaries, still photos, trailers, deleted scenes, you name it, it's all in there. Cameron at the time had become one of the standards of this is how you do a laser disc when you want to go all out. You know, Cameron, his material was always top notch. So that gives you a taste of what's left <laughs> of my collection and... What a great format it was. I am very nostalgic about it. I would say a good percentage of this material, I would go as far as to say for the majority, most of it has been reproduced in DVD form. So in other words, when the DVD started coming out, they would transfer a lot of that information over. A lot of it, not all of it. There are still certain things on these discs that were never transferred there's commentaries there's documentaries there's deleted scenes there are things that were never never transferred and i remember at one point my laser disc player had broken i borrowed one from a friend of mine to be able to at least transfer to vhs a lot of the star wars material and i did funny enough i think i transferred it actually i think i transferred it from laser to my computer and then i burned it off on dvdrs so some of this material, is just, again, it's incredible that it exists and it was never brought to other formats. And that is one of the things I regret the most is not being able to kind of sift through a lot of this material because some of it never made it. All of anything having to do with still photography, still images, a lot of that never made it. DVDs never, I guess, were considered enough of a format to be able to sustain that kind of thing, that people are just not interested in that, which... That's not true as far as I'm concerned, but they never did that. They never did that. They never bothered to have an archival repository of of still images, of script pages, of art. You know, it's different if they turn it into a documentary and they throw in a couple of pictures here and there. For for DVD purposes, they never went that far. And that is one of my biggest regrets is, is that I still have these discs and I cannot access that information. Over the last month or two, I tried on ebay to buy a used player and i tried twice and both times the machine showed up and it wasn't working right or it was broken or something i ended up you know luckily getting refunded but it was just such a disappointing exercise in 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 trying to reclaim something nostalgic Unfortunately, when it comes to players, I think the problem is that you can't really buy them over the mail. You have to see them in person to make sure they're working. And then you have to transport them home yourself very carefully. Because over the mail, they will get destroyed. Uh, The boxes are handled so roughly that it just doesn't uh, make any sense. But I think I'm going to hold on to these. I'm not sure why. It's just that they're so good. They're so... I don't know. Maybe it's the nostalgia. Maybe as some of the... Like I said, the, the some of them have scripts in them. You know, they're they're fantastic. And they're just... They're part of a, a period in time that it was a transition. It was a transition. We were getting ready for new technology. But some people were getting a taste of it. A preview of what this new technology was going to look like. And right now, we know over the last 25 years we've been benefiting from that technology we've had dvds and blu-rays for a long time now and unfortunately like i say we're kind of working our way out of those but this was a period in time that was it wasn't too long where you know we we had something different and if you're an early adopter of technology this was the leading edge of it (laughs) All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We took a a little step back in our time machine to uh, an era where we had something new that we hadn't seen before, especially for film fans. Again, this wasn't a mass-produced, mass-advertised type of uh, format. It never did catch on with your regular consumer. This was something that uh, film buffs grabbed onto, you know, with their dear lives. And I'm glad that at least the good things about the system were able to carry on with what came next in all of the DVD Blu-ray formats out there. I don't know exactly what's coming next. It looks to me like we're heading towards a streaming world, a video on demand world, a non-physical media world. As I announced earlier, I think Warner Brothers already decided or announced that they were gonna start slowing down if not all stopping producing physical media. That's a tough one because there are times where you want to watch XYZ and it is not available on demand somewhere. Or you have to pay extra to watch it. And it would be nice if you had a copy of it, you know, from your own personal library. And that's what I still rely on. I still many, many times go back to my binders full of discs and pull out a movie that is just not available at this particular time, you know, on one of the streaming services. So we will see what direction this goes are we done with physical media i don't know i hope not but only time will tell thank you everybody for listening and we will see you soon here at geek fest rants bye-bye everybody
1: Nothing we want to watch on TV tonight, but we're still gonna watch something great with our RCA video disc player and video discs. Just flip a switch, and on our TV, we see Airplane or the Pink Panther, The Godfather or Grease, Muppets, Monsters, Mickey, Mash, and a hundred more. Starting as low as $15, and the player costs less than $500. Put it this way, we're watching a great movie, and you're watching us.
0: If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page or iTunes at Geek Rants
1: I don't know what we're yelling about.
0: Geek Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2021. Ooh,